welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu. And today's text, Ready When You Are, is set on the far south coast of New South Wales, Australia. Because the text is semi autobiographical and the text's writer, Gary Lonesborough, is Ewan, one of the nations in that region, uh, today we begin by paying respects to the past and present elders of the Ewan nation and acknowledge their custodianship of the land on which this text takes place, as well as the present Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who now live within this area. Joe, mm-hmm. this is our first time, I mean, we read Jasper Jones, but this is our first time being like in Australia from the perspective of Indigenous Australians, yes? Correct, yes. And I think uh, several of the listeners who wrote in to talk about this month's book club pick, including Victoria, Tea Books and Chocolate, and the person who suggested it to us originally, Miriam, they all took a special note of that. Yeah, because it's a very different perspective, particularly as, um, you know, North Americans, you know, we try to read a lot of particularly indigenous texts set in Canada. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's an entirely different perspective to read about another indigenous nation, you know, much like we felt um, when we were exploring indigenous nations in sort of the Nordic regions. Mm-hmm. I was just really interested. You could tell the territorial acknowledgement was a little bit different today. I tried right. to write it more in the spirit of the ways that that work is done in Australia. So I just I was glad we got to spend some time with a very different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I, I don't want to say I struggled with it, I was charmed and intrigued was how in some ways this text is so conventional in Mm -hmm. terms of a YA coming out story. And yet, I think both you and I, as well as all three of these listeners, noted this feels special and distinct at the same time. And I'm perplexed as to why that is. And yet, yeah, I really enjoyed all of it. Yeah. So I guess let's jump in, maybe do a little Mm -hmm. bit of a plot summary. Sure. Uh, Our protagonist is Jackson. He and his family live on the Mish, and the book was originally published as The Boy from the Mish, which is also the title of a book within a book that's happening Mm -hmm. here. Jackson and his family, it's Christmas break. It's really, really hot. Jackson's in this position of trying to decide whether he's going back to school or not. At the beginning of the text, he's decided he's not going to do his year 12, his final year of high school. He's going to go straight to work. And Mm -hmm. his mom is not thrilled with that decision. But she's (laughs) one of the... (laughs) She's one of the few moms in YA who straddles that line between like not pushy, but obviously very caring. I quite enjoyed her as a mom character. Well, I wonder too, if that has something to do with the fact that she's a single mother of two boys. So Mm -hmm. she's got a high schooler in Jackson, and then we have a much younger brother, Henry. And it seems like she has to devote more of her time and attention to him. But also she is kind of a hands-off mom. Like Mm -hmm. she's going to let you know if you're not doing something she likes, but also she will let you go off and make mistakes. Yes. And the the book is full of mistakes. Yeah. (laughs) Jackson gets to make. Not horrible ones. No, not horrible ones. So just like every year, Jackson's aunt has come up for Christmas and she has brought her parcel of kids. And also this year for the first time, a foster kid who she's looking after named Tomas. Mm -hmm. And 
that, of course, becomes our central love interest for Jackson, who Mm -hmm. didn't really realize he was queer or was sort of trying to repress his understanding of his sexuality until Tomas makes that very, very difficult for him. Well, yeah, and that's in part because Jackson has been dating Tesha for a fairly significant amount of time. You know, they are sort of sexually active. It often surrounds party situations where Jackson can blame alcohol Mm -hmm. if he can't quite get it up. And something just never quite feels right. And then things feel very right when Tomas shows up. Yes. And so this is, as Joe said, a pretty straightforward coming out, coming of age story. Jackson is figuring out his sexuality. He's exploring that with Tomas. He's nervous about his friend group and how they're going to react. He's concerned about the Mish community and what that's Mm going to look like for him as an out queer man. But ultimately, it's a story about like shedding all of that baggage and just embracing Mm -hmm. who he actually is. And yeah, Joe, in that way, it's like it could be literally any other queer coming of age that we've read about. It's so straightforward. It's shockingly straightforward. Like we are really hitting all of the beats. And yet... There are all these layers, like the fact that the society that surrounds the Mish is super racist. Oh boy. And Jackson and his friends are always in this situation of being very anxious about the cops seeing Mm -hmm. them, very anxious about being sort of mistreated or assumed to be doing something wrong. They face having to deal with the scorn of everyone else. And in fact, one of the things that is stopping Jackson from going back to school is like he's sick of being one of the very few kids from his community in the school. And and Caitlin is like, you have to come back to school with me because it's just you and me, buddy. Like, you cannot leave me alone there. Right. And then there is eventually an altercation between Ethan, who is one of the more overtly racist of the white kids, um, that ends with, a, well, an assault charge for Jackson. <laughs> and this is all part of sort of his unraveling and like figuring out who he is and who he does and doesn't want to be. Right. So that adds this really interesting other layer, as does the men's group that he's part of, which is Ah, this... I love it. Yeah. So the other men from his community run this group where they like get out on the land and they learn about their culture and their history, but also they they straight up talk about their feelings Mm -hmm. in a way that I found both refreshing and delightful. And that I think is another really significant layer that makes this book feel really different is that most of our coming out narratives from the perspective of young boys, there isn't that significant like male community that they are connecting with. Or if there is, it's really toxic. Whereas here, like there is a very soft place for Jackson to fall. And he doesn't really realize how accepting they will be of him until the end of the book. But but that relationship is so central to his understanding of his own masculinity, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, I mean, (laughs) I'll confess, I was very confronted when we said, oh, we're going to go and do the things with the men's group, because I feel like that has a very different connotation in North America than in an Australian indigenous context, where here you're like, oh, cool. So you're going to go hang out with a bunch of misogynist, maybe white supremacists. (laughs) Whereas there it's like, oh, it's a bunch of men who are engaging in art practice. Yeah, yeah. And like, they really do talk, like they talk meaningfully about things they're going through and, you know, concepts like addiction and whether or not to stay in school and romantic relationships. It's like, oh, oh, it's a book where men can talk to each other. 
Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to bring in the first of our listener responses. So I'm going to give quick credit to Victoria, who gave a special shout out to the beautiful motif of Cory art in the book. Mm-hmm. So according to the small amount of research that Victoria did, the Cory community creates art not only for storytelling and sharing their history, but to also connect back to their own land and community. So what we've just been talking about. But Victoria says... Throughout the novel, Tomas and Jackson reconnect with themselves through this process and even reconnect with the world and the people around them. Jackson starts to truly appreciate his mother's and his aunt's paintings, Mm -hmm. his own progress, and Tomas starts finding his talent while working with Jackson. It's a lovely illustration of how the Koori people have continued to reconnect with one another through artistic collaboration. Well, and it's one of the nicest parts of the book is the ways in which Jackson comes to appreciate his own mom as an artist, right? She's Mm -hmm. always kind of put her art aside to focus on raising her kids and earning their living and everything. But, you know, once a year, her sister comes to town and they do art together in the backyard. Like, that's what they do. I love love it. it. It's like, we put the kids in front of the TV, they watch cartoons, they watch movies, they don't bother us. And then we work on this giant, beautiful sounding the completed work takes up the entire space of a wall in yes. the living room. Yes. And the description is so beautiful. Like I could perfectly imagine it in my mind. And it's so rich with culture and community, right? Yes. And then there's art everywhere in the book. So Tomas is writing this graphic novel that, and I, my favorite scenes are when Jackson's like, do you mean a comic book? And he's like, no, I mean a graphic novel. And Jackson's like, yeah, you're describing a comic book? <laughs> I love it's a huge it. Huge distinction. It's a huge <laughs> distinction, Jackson. <laughs> and, so, and so Tomas is doing this, you know, at first to show like his parole officer, basically, that he like right. can commit to something. But then he really does commit to it. And it becomes this beautiful act of collaboration between the two boys, because mm-hmm. this is also when Jackson rediscovers that he loves to draw, even though he's kind of abandoned that part of himself for some time. So yep. there's all of this notion of like, art as this connection back to our humanity, but also as a connection to each other. And the boys discovering it in this incredibly contemporary form of this comic book that they're making together, which of Mm -hmm. course is a superhero story about Jackson's own community. Like, it's so great. (laughs) Well, yeah, in part because Tomas doesn't really have that sense of community. Like, Well, this is very much Jackson's story. We are learning so much about Tomas and what it means when you are kind of removed from a principally indigenous place. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there were a couple of uh, responses where people were like, I was so confused that this wasn't a real geographical location in Australia because this setting has such a specific feel to it. Like, bunch of people were saying, you know, I can imagine it. It was so clear in my head. It felt like this real place. And when Tomas is there, that's one of the things that he really struggles with is he doesn't have a men's group to keep him grounded. He doesn't have that sense of community, particularly Mm -hmm. because he's been bouncing around between foster homes. Mm -hmm. And you very much get the impression that when these young boys or sorry, these young men don't have that kind of connection. That's when they start to get into trouble with racist police officers and other white folk, because they're more likely to get drunk and lose themselves and get into trouble with the law and that kind of stuff. Whereas they really become grounded and have a sense of purpose by the end of the book, because they have found each other and because they're being true to what they want. 
Yeah, and I think that's a key idea is this notion of like, this isn't just a coming out story. Not that that's a just, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like oftentimes (laughs) when we read something like, often, okay, oftentimes when we read like American commercial fiction about coming out, like coming out is the only part of the narrative Mm -hmm. that is sort of, that matters in the context of the world. Whereas here- The one and only story. (laughs) Whereas here, these two boys have so much to discover about themselves that is wrapped up in, but is also beyond their sexuality. And I think that's another thing that makes this book feel so much more textured than some of the other ones we've read is that like, Mm -hmm. yes, Jackson is totally taken with, overcome by, in love with Tomas (laughs) and thinking about him all the time. But he actually is also, you know, negotiating this racist exterior community and connecting with the men's group and bonding with his mom over the course of the text. And like, there's all these other relationships that matter for good and for ill. And I I think that has huge value in how real Jackson feels and how Mm -hmm. real Tomas feels. Like as characters there, I believe in them in a way that- I don't always, right? And and tea books and chocolate in their emails, like I feel like this is really unfair, but I'm comparing this to <laughs> we are totally normal. And I, yeah. uh, tea books and chocolate, I couldn't help doing that too. All the things that don't work in we are totally normal, the very cardboard characters, the ways in which the, Ooh, the sex, this uh, the sex, but also the way in which culture is just like this sort of tokenistic backdrop instead yeah. of deeply enriching the storytelling like yeah this is so indigenous through and through yes yes it is and i think that that's i don't know there's there's huge value in that to me in a world where so many of the coming out stories are white queer narratives mm-hmm. which is not to say there isn't a place for them but there is so much richness this book leaps off the page and it feels so completely different to a lot of the other things that we've read because just by sheer virtue of embedding it within community and culture it gives the book that extra something like for me this was such a pleasurable read i read this in a day which i never do no I'm you a never super do. slow reader <laughs> i sat down and i was like i'm just gonna get started on this and then i think i read 150 pages in one go oh gosh oh wow it just it was so easy to get into Mm -hmm. lonsborough's writing is so accessible and these characters like it's just so easy to get wrapped up in this even the points of the narrative that felt very conventional and very kind of yes checkboxy i expected this to happen and yet it didn't bother me because there was so much more going on and i think you know like some of those checkboxy moments for example the outing you know, mm-hmm. Jackson isn't in charge of his own story. What ends up happening is there's like this like RV campsite near the Mish where they hang out with white kids kind of every summer and it's the mm-hmm. same kids. They get to know them well, but there's definitely this division between like this is their summer holidays versus like yep. this is where I live all we the time. Live. <laughs> we <Yeah>. live here. <laughs> and um, Troy, one of those boys, takes a picture of Jackson and Tomas kissing in the lake and mm-hmm. – spreads it around like shares it out and it's really you know again we see this in almost every narrative right there's always an outing of some description or fear Mm -hmm. of an outing that pushes the character to to come out themselves but in this story what we might expect like for the community to reject 
Jackson, for example, like we might have a really stereotypical understanding or expectation there. Mm-hmm. Instead, that's not what we see at all. What we have is like, Kalen, his cousin is like, I'm always going to be here. Don't worry about it. And Jeremy, who does have some problems with it, like right. comes around. You know, it's only Ethan who is already, a, we were already <laughs> expecting yeah. Ethan to be terrible. <laughs> there was no rescuing that character. <laughs> no. And I guess, you know, this is a roundabout way of talking about the fact that there is like darkness and struggle and difficulty in this text, mm-hmm. but it's always surrounded with, well, Miriam's email, she says, you know, this book is like full of joy like there, yes. and hope. Like there's so much hopefulness. And mm-hmm. the hope is not rooted in like one day I will escape this town and I will be myself. The hope right. is like actually right here, right now, I can be the person that I am mm-hmm. and almost everyone except for Ethan, who was a write-off anyway, <laughs> will 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 protect me, will look out yeah. for me. And I just, I really loved that. I thought that that was another thing that sort of sets this book apart from many of the ones that we have read. Mm-hmm. It makes space for queerness within the mish that, right. that surprised me, but also like it confronted my assumptions, right? Because why did that surprise me? It's really mm. lovely. Absolutely. And- I'm hesitant to ascribe, you know, like, oh, well, this is because it's indigenous to absolutely everything, because I think that that in some ways discredits the good work that Lonsborough mm. is doing. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's also just exceptionally good and accessible writing. Yeah, it's very good writing. And yet, I do feel like what you've just described, this idea that I don't need to escape. Like, it's not a small town kid escaping to the big city where you can find more people like you. This is about realizing that you're already in the right place Mm -hmm. and you need to come to the realization of who you are and what makes you happy. The people in the Mish are already accepting of him. Like, Jackson's issue are his own. Yep. It's that he's uncomfortable with what he is. He's not prepared to grapple with his sexual identity. The other people in the Mish are there for him when he needs them. It's so cute. There are those scenes between Jackson and his mom after Tomas goes back home after the vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and mom his knew like, what was going on. Oh, mom totally knew what was going on. She's like, so <laughs> you, uh, you missing Tomas? And he's mm-hmm. like, what? No. And she's like, you message him lately? Or... And, she... <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, just come out to your mom. She wants you to come out to her right now. <laughs> and Aunt Pam is like, uh, maybe stop calling me so late. I gave Tomas his own phone and his own number. Here it is. Goodbye. <laughs> like, can you two boys just figure your stuff out? And I also love that it isn't, you know, oh, Tomas was my first love and I'll never feel that again. It's like they casually decide that they're going to be boyfriends long distance. We don't exactly know when they're going to see each other again. Might not be for a while, but that's fine. Like there's a happy ending here, but it's not a fairy tale. Yes. Yeah. It's totally realistic within the context of the world that Lonesborough has built for us. Mm -hmm. And that world is so textured and detailed. And, you know, in Victoria's email, one of the things that they point out are like, the small details that make the text feel so realistic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like Tomas is snoring and how that's like this running sort yeah. of <laughs> reflection in the text or the way the kids are always around. You know, oftentimes mm-hmm. in these kinds of stories, the background characters become like they're there when it's convenient and they disappear when they're not. No, no, those kids are always, they're always around. There. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's about trying to escape from the kids so that we can actually have time to build this romance. Yes, exactly. And oh my gosh, I know we're not really playing bingo on book club weeks, Joe, but perfect mm-hmm. date to the max when they go out in the rain to try to have their picnic. Just loved it. Uh, yes. Well, okay. Can we talk about the sex? Because I do yeah. feel like that was one of the other not confronting things, but it really was a good contrast to We Are Totally Normal. Like, we all had challenges with the depiction of sex in that book. And obviously, Mm -hmm. it was for a similar but also distinct purpose. Here, the sex is really good. Yeah, it is. It's also totally appropriate to the situation. So, Mm -hmm. Joe and I are reading another book right now, which we'll reflect on in the future. Goodness. Where the sex is neither good nor appropriate to the situation. It's just so unrealistic, right? Like this is a fumbling. (laughs) This is making plans and having it fall through because things aren't perfect. And there's just something so satisfying. And it does make it like when they get together in the lake, it is hot. Yeah. But as you said, it's appropriate. Like there's a little bit of risque voyeurism to it. Like we shouldn't be doing this. It felt so real to my own queer experiences. Like, honestly, this felt so beautifully, evocatively written. Well, and and what I love about it is that the boys are in this moment of self-discovery together. Mm-hmm. And when one decides they're not ready, it's like... It's not like a big thing no. that they blow up with each other about or like, oh my God, you don't really love me. Or blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Like we just met. We're just figuring ourselves out. Jackson has just figured out he's queer. He might need a bit more time. Like right. it's just lovely. The patience that they have with each other and the tenderness in those mm-hmm. moments, which is something I think was really lacking from a book like We Are Totally Normal or as I keep teasing the book that Joe and I are reading now, mm-hmm. like the tenderness of early sexual exploration, I think is really beautifully captured here. Mm-hmm. And, and we should clarify, we're not alone in this. Uh, Tea Books and Chocolate said, I was thrilled by the romance between Jackson and Tomas, the way Jackson has these feelings bubble up that he initially tries to shove down. God, I know that feeling. And then to have them reciprocated. To watch them both be vulnerable and take this risk together, it was so tender. And then, you know, Tea Books and Chocolate goes on to kind of relate this to their own coming out story or their own recognition of their kind of queer sexuality and how this does kind of capture that like we don't always have the vocabulary or even the education to know what sex looks like when it's not defined within heteronormative parameters yeah and and as you were learning from that other book we're reading joe even then (laughs) (laughs) folks we're we're just gonna say we're reading a super trashy wetpad novel for a future episode (laughs) called through my window and it has some of the stupidest sex scenes I have ever read in my life. There is a description where she falls on his penis, Brenna. And then, of course, she orgasms. I cannot. Compare and contrast with this book. This book is, like, sensational. That book is trash. Oh, my God. And it's true, you know. Like, I also loved... The contrasting point, uh, trying to get myself back on track. I'm sorry, I derailed us horribly. (laughs) But the contrasting use of the inability to get an erection as like Mm -hmm. a sort of your body trying to tell you something thing. Right. Which in We Are Totally Normal is, oh, it's like you're being smacked in the face with it over and over again. Like, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how to describe it except that it's so almost facile in that book. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's like Jackson doesn't really know what's happening to his body. And as you said, right. he's got all these contexts. Like he can he can pretend that it's caused by the alcohol. He can pretend a whole bunch of different things. He doesn't have to really face it. Right. And And the way that that realization is sort of slow and emergent and then when he realizes when he's with Tomas that actually there's nothing wrong down there Mm -hmm. I just thought that that was really expertly handled in this book compared to I mean in We Are Totally Normal you you almost think Nandan is asexual right and 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 he's just not working ever ever yeah so I just thought the ways in which it was explored here were so much more because the other thing is it's like if Nandan was asexual that's also not being dealt with (laughs) tenderly or gently in that text Mm -mm. I think there's an awful lot of empathy between author and protagonist here that you can really feel and I think that 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 helps a lot when you're telling what is ultimately a a, like a deeply sort of sensitive story Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm all this to say that Gary Lonsborough has done an exceptional job with his first novel. But I think this is a story that very clearly Lonsborough knew what he was trying to achieve mm-hmm. and how best to achieve it. Like, I don't know if you read the note from the author, but, you know, it does help to kind of contextualize some of the little details that readers from outside of Australia may not know. Mm-hmm. We touched a little bit on some of the colonialism and the racism, but this is something that is very deeply rooted in Australia. Like, there's unfortunately quite a bit of systemic racism Mm -hmm. just baked into that country, and they sometimes grapple with it, and then other times they need other people to illustrate it for them. Mm But Lonsborough talks about, yeah, this racism, personally experienced. This Mm -hmm. is not an autobiographical tale, but I know what it's like. I know what life on a place like the Mish is like. And I guess one of the final things that I wanted to raise with you is something that we didn't get in any of the listener responses, but there is an undercurrent of class in this too, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, Like I'm mm -hmm. thinking of the shopping trip where because Tomas has kind of run out of clean clothes, we take him to the mall. And sure, that's used as an opportunity to explore some of the racism that they experience via Ethan. But there's also the, okay, how do we make our dollar stretch? Yeah. And, you know, it sort of shows how Tomas hasn't really interacted with the world very much, right? Because their aunt gives them some money, Auntie Pam gives them some money, and they go and Tomas is like, I want to go to the stores that sell cool things. Mm -hmm. And Jackson is like, yeah, we don't have cool things money. You have to go to this store. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) yeah, like real talk. You do have to go to this store. You have to buy the cheap stuff. That's what you have access to. Um, Yeah, it's, it's nice to see that actually getting teased apart for these characters, especially in contrast with, you know, the kids whose parents can take the whole summer off to spend Mm -hmm. in an RV park. That's a huge difference between their lives, right? Yeah. It's also a part of why Jackson's mother might want him to continue going on to school. You know, she very clearly says, you kids have opportunities that I didn't have when I was your age. And I think she means part of it does have to do with the community in the Mish, but also the idea that if you ever wanted to leave the Mish, there are opportunities for you, but they are impacted if you don't have that grade 12 education. Yeah. Um, It's interesting, Joe, because almost everybody who wrote in was like, I hope Gary Lonesborough writes more books. I hope there are more stories. And Mm -hmm. I can share that there is a book being published 
uh, like soon, like next month, July 2023, Ooh. by Gary Lonesborough called We Didn't Think It Through. And I'm not sure what the North American publication is going to look like, but it's right. definitely out in Australia in July. And it kind of sounds like it's not a sequel in any way, but it kind mm-hmm. of sounds like it's exploring more of Tomas's story. So Ooh, I'll read you the okay. little blurb. It says, Jamie lives in Dalton's Bay with Auntie Dawn and Uncle Bobby. He spends his downtime hanging out with his mates, Dally and Lenny. Mark Cassidy and his white mates, the footy heads, take every opportunity they can to bully Jamie and his friends. Mm-hmm. On Lenny's last night in town before moving to Sydney, after another episode of racist harassment, Jamie, Dally, and Lenny decide to retaliate by vandalizing Mark Cassidy's car. And oh, when they discover oh, the keys are in the ignition, Dally changes the plan. Soon no. they're all in... <laughs> Soon they're all in Mark Cassidy's stolen car cruising through town and aiming to take it for a quick spin and then dump it. But it's a bad plan. And as a consequence, Jamie ends up in the youth justice system where he must find a way to mend his relationships with himself, his friends, his family, and his future. Ooh, yeah, Yeah. that does sound like a spiritual sequel. Yeah, Yeah. it's like if Tomas didn't end up getting into aunt pam's foster family and had to kind of like work through the issues because tomas's issue is actually very much based on that same idea right Mm -hmm. like they did a stolen joyride and he wasn't really thinking it through but it is having a huge impacts on his future Yes. And again, it's this idea of sort of falling in with the wrong crowd, which is totally Mm -hmm. what's happened to Tomas and what Jackson is at risk of Mm -hmm. throughout this book, right? Is like one or two wrong choices away from a very similar outcome because we've seen how the police like hover around the community just waiting for these boys to misstep. Yeah. And and that really is huge in this book. Like, I love that it's not the center of the story. It sounds like it will be in that second book. But our introduction to these characters is them driving and realizing we have to change the way that we're behaving because the cops are driving behind us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our first introduction. And it's like, okay, we're. I see exactly what this story is going to be about. And then it zigs and it ends up being a very tender queer love story, you know? Mm-hmm. So yay for Gary Lonesboro for having this kind of range in depth. Ooh, yeah, honestly, huge thank you. Like, <laughs> I don't want to diminish anybody else who has written in and been like, I hope you read this book. But Miriam, thank you so much for bringing this book into our lives because this was absolute joy. In fact, I actually have to quote Tea Books and Chocolate here. This is the first time it's ever happened that like a, a listener has written to another listener via us as the intermediary, I think, mm-hmm. Joe. But <laughs> Tea Books and Chocolate writes, huge shout out to Miriam for the recommendation because I just loved it. So good work, Miriam. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure on future people who write in, by the way. I mean, Brenna and I, you have seen, we we have ourselves programmed more than a few duds over the course of this podcast. Oh, so. we sure have. Yeah. But I think this is a really good example of why we rely so heavily on our listeners who are mm-hmm. in all different places around the world and have all kinds of different travels and experiences and come across different kinds of things, because there's no reason why this book would have entered our orbit, Joe, no. otherwise. And so, yeah, I'm, I am super grateful, but I also, it makes me grateful for this little show and the Mm. little community that we've built yeah absolutely can i tell you one funny little um like bit of happenstance sure gary lonesboro uh was a film student oh okay and guess what film he worked on what film jasper jones yeah really yeah that's amazing i know i don't know in what capacity it's just a little sort of footnote in his bio but yeah i just had to share that (laughs) that as well because australia i mean they have a comparable film industry i'd say to canada so it's not 
small, but it's also not big. The funny thing is that, you know, Australia is a massive country. So Mm -hmm. the idea that we would have these kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon Australia (laughs) edition is very amusing to me. Six degrees of Gary Lonesboro. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Six degrees of queer Australia. (laughs) Okay. So, Joe... Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to tell you that actually the book we've been teasing about how much we're not enjoying is our next book that we're talking Yay! about on the show. <laughs> so excited. Brenna, this book is also so long. It's so long. You know, I have been teasing Joe all week by text that it's another giant, enormous, too long Wattpad title with too much bad sex in it, mm-hmm. but that he has to finish this one. This is true. I am on track. I will finish this. Folks, this is, it's one of those things where I almost encourage you, even if it sounds awful to you in the way that we've been describing it, it's almost worth your time to see what Twilight and After mm-hmm. has sort of bequeathed us as readers. Like, this is so clearly informed by the success of previous Wattpad titles and fan fiction kind of gone wrong. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating as a bit of a cultural study if a bit of a slog to get through yeah no i actually i hate to say this but i actually do agree with joe uh so the book is through my window by ariana godoy but don't don't buy it like just find it not buy it don't buy it library Uh, it up people (laughs) absolutely so that's where we're heading next for reading um and i'm very excited to say joe that shortly after that we'll be exploring the reboot of clone high how cute and fun is that Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're going to be dipping our toes into animation a little bit over the course of the next couple of weeks. I also wanted to clarify, we are also watching the movie of yeah. Through My Window, which is yeah. a Netflix property. How could it be worse than the book, Joe? Oh, it just in completely different awful ways. But that one is popular enough that it already also has a sequel, which is why we are programming Through My Window at this time. Oh, good Lord. Good Here's Lord the thing. Maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Excitingly, though, we do have another great title, I'm sure, coming up for book club. So uh, Mm -hmm. way back when we did Sammy Blood, I had mentioned a book called Stolen, which then somebody wrote in and was like, yes, you definitely have to read Stolen. So we immediately programmed it. So our Mm -hmm. next book club is another international exploration. We'll be reading Stolen. So go check that out. It's another long one and it's literary fiction, so it's dense. So you might want to pick it up now to be ready. Mm Hmm. Okay, so uh, you know what you're reading and listening to. Maybe you want to write in about some of this stuff. If so, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Yeah, I I think that if you've got long-form stuff, you should definitely email us. Mm -hmm. Honestly, quality of emails has been like really high lately so mm-hmm. keep it up everybody it's hkhspod at gmail.com indeed all right joe so uh i think i think i think that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> until next time i will see you on the page and i will see you on the screen bye i don't know if you read the i i don't think it's a postscript like a sorry one sec <clears throat> What is it? It's not the acknowledgement. It's...